Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Sister Wives with Mary Jane Kay. Today, I'll be giving my commentary on Sister Wives Season 5, Episode 4, Polygamous Cults. We're going to go all the way back to the days of Vegas before the cul-de-sac was built. The teens this episode are going to volunteer for an organization holding out help. They're going to go to Utah. Now, this organization helps families who want to leave their polygamous communities. So Maddie, Logan, and Aspen are going to go to Utah, and they're going to help paint a house for a family who has left the FLDS community. Cody seems concerned that this group may sway his kids. So he asks Aspen if she has pressure, if she has these people from the organization pushing her that plural marriage may possibly be a bad idea, he wonders if she has a strong enough opinion that she could say she didn't agree with them. It's weird to watch old episodes back. It really feels like the upside down then versus now. Cody is sitting with his kids. Savannah is sitting with him in his lap. He seems invested. The key word being seems, of course. Aspen assures her dad that she knows she might hear that. They might tell her that polygamy is bad, but she says she can do that. She can handle it. Christine explains that some of those people that are with this group, they hate plural marriage and they don't believe in it. And Aspen explains to her mom that she can tell them why she thinks plural marriage is good. And Cody points out to Aspen that people out there are haters. And these haters, they even have billboards that say, polygamy is abuse. Aspen feels that those people, they just grew up in a bad situation. They had a bad experience with plural marriage, but she feels at this point that it wasn't plural marriage for them that is the actual problem. She says it's not the fault of polygamy that these people had a difficult life. It was the leaders in the communities they come from. Christine has trepidation. She really isn't a huge fan of the kids going on this trip. Tanya is the organization's founder of Holding Out Help, and Christine has heard a lot of questionable stuff about her, and she's very worried about her meeting her kids or her influencing her kids, and she really doesn't know if Tanya can be trusted. Christine wonders, at a time when she was struggling with Cody, what would have happened if she actually went to Tanya saying that she was having a hard time, saying she didn't know what to do? Christine wonders, what if she did that? She's basically wondering if in a moment when she struggled with Cody, if she went to Tanya and told her how hard things were, if Tanya would maybe have had influenced her to leave. Now, looking back, obviously in hindsight, we know how much Christine struggled with Cody. Cody claims he never loved her. We learn he was never attracted to Christine. And Christine never felt like she was good enough for Cody. So now, obviously, decades later, Christine has left her marriage. She's happily married to David, of course, and she has taken what she deserves in life. She's happily married to a real man. And looking back watching this, Christine probably wishes she took her life back sooner. She probably wishes she reached out to Tanya. But back then, she seems relieved that she didn't. Christine wonders, what if, God forbid, Tanya had helped her get out? Janelle warns Aspen that there are stories that all of the kids are going to encounter that are different from their family. Aspen is scared. She knows what she's going to hear is going to be really sad. Cody clarifies that it's not plural marriage that is bad for these people who have escaped. It's that the women aren't treated fairly in plural marriage on these compounds. You know, Cody now likes to deflect and blame 
polygamy. He's saying it's just not fair to women. And that's the same excuse he used to justify to Aspen how it's not polygamy that's the problem. It's the way the men, the husbands, treat their wives. But that's true of Cody too. I personally don't believe polygamy is fair to women. It's nothing I would ever choose. But also, if Cody, as the plural husband, made an effort to consciously be fair and equal with his wives, like he was supposed to try his best to do, polygamy maybe could have been more functional. And it's interesting that here Cody is telling Aspen that it's not polygamy, it's not plural marriage that's the problem. It's the way the women are treated unfairly. Yet Cody treated his wives the exact same way ultimately. And he now blames plural marriage for all of it, saying, well, it's just unfair to women. It's not my problem to remove the accountability from himself for his bad behavior with his now ex-wives. So I really found that interesting that he justified plural marriage in the past by saying the bad experiences were a result of the women not being treated fairly by the husband, that the women are treated unfairly. Saying that it's not plural marriage itself that's bad, it's the way the women are treated by their husbands. And now, seasons later, Cody says polygamy is just unfair to women and he can't advocate for it anymore and he's blaming plural marriage and not taking his own accountability for the unfair way he himself treated his wives as a plural husband. It's very interesting how Cody will change his script depending on what suits his narrative best in the moment, isn't it? Cody is letting his older kids go help this organization because Cody says he wants his kids to see what is really going on. He feels if abuse or evil is going on, he doesn't want his kids to turn a blind eye to it. He wants his kids to understand it so they can oppose it. That's interesting. Cody wants his kids to be conscious of abuse, of abusive behavior. Yet when his own kids criticize his toxic behavior, his toxicity to their moms, his toxicity to them, his toxicity to their siblings, Cody ices them out and he resents them big time. When he and his wives all taught these kids to think for themselves and to be independent and strong. Yet when the kids think for themselves, when they criticize him, when they share their opinions and they oppose his abusive or toxic behavior, Cody accuses his children of being under the influence of their shit-talking mothers, completely disregarding that they think for themselves and that they were raised to be strong and call out the bullshit when it comes to them calling out his own bullshit. Cody is nervous that he is sending his kids off, but he also thinks the kids need to get out of the nest to have other people's opinions influence them. So before, in the time of this past episode, Cody was feeling that the kids were strong-minded, they were independent enough, they were strong enough to be exposed to these other people's opinions. And Cody really didn't worry about them being feeble or easily influenced or weak-minded. Yet now, as grown adults, Cody thinks the kids are so weak-minded, they're idiots who let their moms influence their opinions of him or let their moms influence their relationships with him. He doesn't think his kids now are strong enough to hear their mom's opinions and hear and see and think for themselves about how they feel about their absent father and their relationship with him. Their criticisms can't just be because they are strong and independent and stand up for themselves. Their criticisms of him have to be because they were influenced by Christine and Janelle. 
They couldn't possibly think and feel for themselves the way Cody knows that they can in this previous episode. Now, Janelle wonders if the kids' perspective is equal and fair, or if they're out to convince people that polygamy is evil across the board. Cody says that they've seen people, people like that who have had horrible experiences with polygamy. They think polygamy is abuse. They think polygamy is evil. And so Cody challenges them to spend a week with their family because Cody says they're making a blanket statement on something they don't understand. And Cody says maybe in those other cultures, polygamy is always abuse. He doesn't know, but he says he feels it's a stereotype to say that. And of course, he wants to distinguish. His brand of polygamy is so different from the abusive polygamy we see on the compounds. Now, polygamy can probably be lived functionally to some extent, but I believe it is unfair to women, and it's very difficult for the man as well. A man has to be very dedicated in that situation to being conscious about being fair and equal and not picking favorites. Polygamy probably isn't the healthiest lifestyle to live. It's not the easiest lifestyle to live, even if everyone involved is very conscious about it. But we have seen examples of polygamous families where it is much more functional than the Brown family and where it isn't really abusive. Although it is a system that can very easily lend itself to abuse, even if all the people involved are very conscious about it and want to live it very functionally. I just find it interesting how Cody tells the people who have had abusive experiences, who hate polygamy, who equate it with abuse, to come stay with him for a week so that he can show them that it's all good. When we all know how toxic Cody has become, how emotionally abusive, and now he himself thinks polygamy itself is the problem. When I think in his situation, he was the problem more than polygamy, more than the lifestyle itself. It was Cody who was the problem in his situation, in my opinion. Cody wanted to show that polygamy can be good, it can be functional, it can be healthy. It's not all abuse, it's not all bad. But in the end, Cody has revealed over the years how toxic he is and how difficult the lifestyle is and how easily the lifestyle can become dysfunctional and lend itself to abuse and toxicity. When a husband refuses to act consciously to be fair and equal with all of his wives and kids, and when the husband picks a favorite prioritizing his ego over his responsibility. Professor Yankowiak said that the functionality of a plural family hinges on the type of man the husband is, his personality type. And I believe plural marriage may have fed Cody's ego, but there is no way in hell a man who prioritizes his ego and be a functional, conscientious, plural husband. Over the course of the seasons, Cody has shown just how toxic polygamy can be when the husband is unable to prioritize a larger family and puts himself first. Patty says she's heard some of the stories of abuse. She hears it sometimes, but it's hard to believe. She says you never hear those stories firsthand. Logan only hears secondhand stories of the abuse, so he doesn't think it's true. But Logan isn't worried about the project itself. He's not worried about the work. He's worried about the interaction with the escapees. And Aspen is worried that it's going to be awkward since they come from totally different situations. So they really don't know what to expect. Colleen escaped polygamy and she was really nervous to meet the Browns. When she was inside, she was looking for someone to take her anger out on, someone to yell at. Colleen firmly believes that polygamy 
cannot ever be lived successfully. She really doesn't think it's possible. I noticed that a few of these escapees were also on that show, Escaping Polygamy on A&E. And if you want more insight into what these escapees have to go through, that's a good show. I enjoyed it. I don't even know if it's on anymore, but I did watch it and I know it gave a lot of insight. Nicole and Colleen are two of the escapees and they are from the mainstream polygamous community called the Kingston Group. And there are two others who are from the FLDS run by Warren Jeffs. Cody explains that in the polygamous world, there are many different churches and the FLDS is the largest one. And their leader, of course, is the fuckface Warren Jeffs. And he exploited his people. He committed extortion against them. And he is in prison now for child abuse, the worst kind. Cody says he needed to go down, but the problem Cody has is everybody is judging him by Warren Jeff's deeds when not all polygamists are members of Warren Jeff's sect, and not even all of the people in his sect are all like him. Cody explains that when these abuses happen, sometimes people want to leave the community, and so they need a place to go. Tanya, the founder of Holding Out Hope, explains that these families, they lose everything when they leave. They have no clue how to navigate in the outside world. So Holding Out Hope helps these fundamentalist Mormons when they come out and they don't know where to turn and their family is cut off. Their life is cut off and they need someone to walk alongside them. One of the escapees is Suzanne Steves. She's a 17-year-old. She came from the FLDS, and she came to Holding Out Hope six months ago with her mom and her six sisters, and they all left together. They were scared. They were still in their cult dresses. They were terrified, and the thing they were most scared of is they thought that they would be raped in the outside world. They were terrified. They were afraid of people. They were afraid of all the situations they were put in. When you live in a cult and all you ever know are those teachings and that community and you're living in a bubble and you are taught nothing about the truth of the outside world and you're just taught that it's all hell, it's all Sodom and Gomorrah, it's all evil, you're going to be raped, that's all you know and you believe it, that's all you've ever heard, that's all you've ever been exposed to, that's all you've ever seen and you hear this from birth. Imagine how terrifying it is for these people to leave, they leave the only thing they ever knew, the only world they ever knew, the only people they ever knew, the only community and culture they ever knew, the only life they ever knew, to walk into what you are taught is hell. Literally imagine how scared you would be and how much courage you would have to have to break away and make a new life in the outside world. Then imagine once you get your bearings in the world and you build some type of life and you adjust to the world and you adjust to life, how many emotions you have, how much anger, how much resentment, how much betrayal you might feel knowing everything in your life was a lie. Everything you were taught was a lie. I've never been in a cult and I can say for sure I never will be. But just trying to imagine the emotions and the courage it would take these people to leave, and then the residual emotions and the healing and all of that, that journey, these people who leave end up strong like warriors if they survive it. They're warriors. This is difficult. This is very hard to imagine, having to learn to think for yourself. When every part of you was forced in a mold, when from birth you are conditioned to think this, don't think this, wear this, don't wear this, 
eat this, don't eat this, act like this, be this, keep sweet. These people not only have to contend with figuring out the outside world and making a life, they also have to change the way they think and figure out their own identity and who they are. They have to discover that they get to choose who they are. They get to be whoever they are. They get to choose who they are and no one is allowed to dictate their identity. That's a mountain to climb and I think it's very brave and very courageous and it takes a lot of strength. And I think it's hard. We get one life. And these people get their lives back when they leave. They get to figure out who they are. They get to be themselves. But it's probably one of the hardest journeys anyone could ever walk through. But at least if they leave, they get to live rather than spending the rest of their lives suffocated, living half a life, feeling like they're trapped in a cage for their whole life. Logan asks one of the escapees if they felt relieved when they got out. And she says... She can't explain the feeling of freedom they had the night they left. She says it was incredible. Steven is 20 and he's from the FLDS community and he was kicked out of his community because of things they didn't approve of. Steven has three moms. He used to have four moms, but one left. And that mom that left was his best mom and Steven still talks to her. One girl who escaped Her father told her on her 16th birthday that she had to get married now. Vomit in my mouth. This is so sick. Imagine your father coming to you, a minor child, and telling you it's time for you to get married. The father didn't like who the 16-year-old daughter picked to marry, so she had to leave, of course, unless she wanted to marry someone she didn't want to be with at all. Nicole is now 22 years old and she is from the Kingston community. She got out when she married somebody that had nothing to do with polygamy at all and her father then accepted the fact that she was never coming back. She got pregnant with her son and then she met Tanya and holding out hope really helped Nicole. They gave Nicole a support group. They loved her unconditionally and she never got that from her family. Maddie explains that she doesn't want to live the lifestyle because she thinks certain people have to be cut out for it, and she's not one of those people. Colleen wonders why anybody would even want to live the lifestyle at all. Consenting adults should live however they want to live. No one has a right to tell you how to live or who to love or how to structure your family, but I have to agree. Why choose polygamy? Is it worth it even when lived in a functional way? Why even put yourself through that suffering and emotional roller coaster? In my opinion, polygamy lends itself to unfair power dynamics and toxicity. And sure, with the right husband, with the right man who gives it full effort to always conscientiously be fair and equal, maybe it can work to some degree where all the consenting adults are all in and they want to do it and they all want to prioritize the larger family. But why one would choose it willingly, why one would choose it is a mystery. And these women are taught, if you want to get into heaven, your ticket into heaven, you have to live plural marriage. If you want an afterlife, if you want in heaven, if you don't want in the flames of hell, you have to do this. What are the benefits for the women who choose to live in polygamy, who aren't forced or who don't feel they have to for faith reasons? Why would you choose it? I mean, I think there are people out there that it could work for. For example, Janelle. 
She wanted to work. She didn't want to play Susie Homemaker and she wanted to have kids. And so for Janelle, plural marriage works. And I think if Cody was willing and able to manage his responsibilities as a plural husband and a father, it really may have worked for someone like Janelle for the rest of her life. But I really do believe that the system lends itself to abuse, especially if the husband is a selfish, ego-driven control freak who wants to make the decision he regrets to be a plural husband easier for him by controlling everyone in his family and demanding submission. Why choose it? If there are any polygamists out there who have a functional situation and like it, I want to know why did they choose it and why do they like it? I want to know. I'm interested to know where polygamy works, what makes it functional, and how much of it has to do with the husband's ability to prioritize the larger family over himself and his ego. How much of it has to do with the husband making the conscientious choice to be fair and equal with all of his wives and kids. Now, we've seen it with Brady Williams. We've seen it with the Collier family. We've seen it with the Dargers. But I'm curious, when it does work, why? Colleen is 19. She came from the Kingston group and she left twice. She left once at 15 and she got sent back and then she left for good again at 17. She always wanted to leave. One of the men in power was her dad and she remembers him beating her up as her first memory. Colleen felt like leaving her whole life. Maddie explains that she thinks you have to have a certain character to live polygamy. She said some people should live it and some people shouldn't and some people live it that shouldn't live it. And she knows she couldn't share her husband. Colleen doesn't want to live polygamy because she says she has a brain and anyone with a brain wouldn't want to live polygamy. Colleen says she wants to yell at the Browns and tell them that it's not as happy or great as they're making it seem to be. I think we all know now that it is not as happy or great as they are making it seem to be. And I think Colleen was right about that. Now we know three wives have left Cody and Cody has estranged relationships with many of his kids. Cody resented his role as a plural husband and father. So much so that he referred to his ex-wives and kids as the obstacles to his goals in life. His goal, of course, being monogamish hell with his favorite wife, Robin. So the jig is up. Colleen hates polygamy and she makes it clear she doesn't like that anybody is in a group or that anybody is still involved in trying to live polygamy. She doesn't like it. She's against polygamy. Aspen doesn't think polygamy is the problem. Logan doesn't care. He thinks they can have their opinions, whatever. Maddie argues that it's not the lifestyle itself, it's the leaders and the secrecy because they are scared of being thrown in jail or being taken away from their families. Maddie makes it clear she herself doesn't want to live polygamy, but that doesn't mean that she doesn't support it. Here's the thing. Even if we hate something for ourselves or it's something we would never want to live, I would never in a million years want to live that way ever. And I can see how most of the time polygamy is dysfunctional. It's not easy. Even when it's functional, it can lend itself to a lot of toxicity. But I still think consenting adults should have a right to live however they want to just because it's not for me or I would never do it. Just because I can see that in some situations it is abusive, that doesn't mean that it's fair for me to dictate that consenting adults who choose to live that way or want to live that way shouldn't be allowed to live however the fuck they want to. It's hard to do it. It's hard to live it functionally, but that is on the people who choose to do it. And again, 
provided they are consenting adults who are choosing it because they want to choose it, not because they are forced to do it or because they are indoctrinated and choosing to do it. Maddie makes it clear that she supports her parents all the way because they're good people, and she mentions the rumor to the escapees that they marry 13-year-olds to 40-year-olds, so the underage child brides, the child abuse that they do on the compounds, and she asks if that's true. And Nicole explains that sometimes that is true, and she knows a 13-year-old married to a 40-year-old. This is disgusting. This is really disturbing stuff. Nicole explains that she grew up with a group of five girls, and they had all been physically, sexually, or emotionally abused, and most of the time, all three. This experience made Maddie very emotional, and she's frustrated because these kids were mistreated and they saw a bad side of polygamy. And she thinks if they saw a good side of polygamy, if they were raised the way they should have been raised, then they would have been a lot happier. Nicole explains that she thinks that there is probably a lot that goes on in the Brown family, in the Brown's kids' parents' marriages, that the kids don't see. She has doubts. She doesn't know how good the childhoods of the Brown children really were. Nicole explains how things worked in their group. She says they are tied completely to their leader and their leader dictates everything. That sounds like Kotex, right? Yelling and shouting about a patriarchy, about obedience, wanting to dictate everything, wanting to control, demanding submission of his family, of his wives and his kids. Doesn't that sound kind of like Cody? Nicole explains that if the leader tells you not to watch something, you just don't watch it. The leader dictates everything. And even if you escape, the cult will hunt you down if you leave. For Nicole, she had to live in her car for a month in order to get out and not be found. Maddie explains that the fact that people like Warren Jeffs took polygamy and abused it and they treated those kids like they were, that's disgusting. She is in tears. She is really heartbroken. She is really upset and emotional over this, understandably. And she explains how these kids she met only know the evil side of polygamy. All of them are emotionally scarred. And Maddie says it's disgusting. I have to agree. Maddie gets that these kids don't believe that they are real, that they're actually having a good experience in the Brown family. She gets that they think the Browns are fake and naive. And Maddie says they don't get that there is a good side to polygamy. And Maddie feels that she got more support in her life than most other kids because of polygamy. Maddie says she grew up in a very happy, good home, and it's because of polygamy. And she would have never known any of that good stuff if her parents weren't polygamists. Next, Logan, Aspen, and Maddie visit a host home. A host home is a home where a family decides to help escapees and they can live with the host family in the host home. And Colleen considers her host family her family. That's how important they are to her. Colleen's host family is a world of difference away from her bio family. With her host family, Colleen says she has a mom that's there, she has a dad, and when she was in her old community, she would only see her dad on birthdays and holidays, and maybe sometimes at church. Colleen explains that when her bio dad would come over, her mom would freak out, it was a big occasion, it was a special occasion, and she would make everything just perfect to please the husband. He was the first to get served food. He even had a special glass plate. He had a special glass cup, everything special for him. He had special dishes in the cupboard just for him only to use. 
and everyone else got plastic. Plastic crap dishes in the family, but her dad was the king with the special glass plate and cup. He got everything special and he was the king literally ruling everything. Colleen explains that's what polygamy is to her. In some ways, Cody sounds very similar to Colleen's dad. Remember when he was shouting about patriarchy this, obedience that? Remember the way Cody bitched that he was the head of this family, he was the leader, this was a patriarchy, and he was complaining that no one was loyal, that no one obeyed him, that no one let him lead. When as a plural husband and father... Cody showed that he couldn't even meet his basic obligations or keep up his end of the deal he made when he married these four women. Three of them now ex-wives, of course. Maddie really wants Colleen to see a different side of polygamy. She wants Colleen to understand that it's not all bad and it's just the situation that Colleen was in and it's the person you put in that position. It's the man that you put at the head of the family. Maddie says, if you put a really controlling person at the head of the family, then he's going to take control. He's going to be like that. But Maddie insists her dad, Cody, isn't like that. Of course, her dad isn't like that. But of course, seasons later, he was just screaming about a patriarchy, demanding more obedience, just even a season or two ago. But Cody isn't like that. No, not at all. Colleen makes it clear that no one is convincing her about polygamy being good. She won't be convinced. She won't be moved. And the Browns assure her they're not going to try to change her mind. Logan promises they're not trying to convert her or anything like that. He and Maddie, though, don't want to be polygamists themselves, and they're sure about that. But Aspen, at this point, as a teenager, she says she wants to live polygamy. She says she grew up with it her whole life, and she wants her kids to experience it. Now, of course, we know Aspen is dead set against living polygamy now. You know, I like Colleen. She tells it like it is, but sometimes she is a little harsh with the brown kids. Colleen straight up tells Aspen that the chances of her marrying a polygamous man and that man being good, as good as her family, that that's very slim. Next, Colleen asks how it would make them feel knowing that their husband is with another woman When the things they have that seem special between them as husband and wife, he's doing those things with somebody else. Aspen doesn't know. Logan thinks it's amusing, though, that Colleen likes to dig. And Colleen lets Aspen know if she gets herself in that situation, she will realize what Colleen is telling her. Aspen knows she's going to get jealous about it, but she thinks it's something that she'll have to work through because she loves the religion. Colleen is kind of condescending. She says, poor Aspen, she's a poor little brainwashed child because she wants to live polygamy. Maddie explains that you have to be a strong person in order to do it. And Colleen says that you have to be a very dumb person to do it. Maddie, of course, defends her parents. She says she doesn't think her parents are dumb. Why put yourself, though, in what you know will be an excruciatingly painful difficult situation. I want to know what the positive benefits are that outweigh all of the negative risks and all the negatives in this situation. And I think nothing is going to sway Colleen. She lived it. It was horrible for her. Nothing will ever change that. Nothing will ever change how she feels about it. But I also think because Colleen had a horrible experience and she resents it and she's angry, she wants to kind of look down on the Browns or be condescending towards the Brown kids. Now, the brown kids were born into this plural family.
family. They were born into living in a plural family. That wasn't their choice in any way, shape, or form. And their dad, of course, didn't turn out to be as great and as functional as they thought he was back then. But it's not their fault. And being straightforward is a very good thing. It's great to be blunt. But we also have to remember the brown kids didn't choose to be in a plural family. They didn't choose polygamy. They were born into it through no choice of their own. And at this point, the brown kids really thought they were having a good to okay experience in their family and with their dad. So Colleen calling people who live that way dumb or saying poor little Aspen because she felt she wanted to live polygamy back then. Is she right? Yeah. Polygamy is hard. It is abusive. It's not something that I would choose. But does she need to take her resentment and anger out by insulting the brown kids and being condescending to them? No, not necessarily. Colleen thinks being a polygamist is a dumb thing to do. And Maddie tells Colleen from her point of view, after the situation she was in, Maddie gets that that's what Colleen would think. And then Colleen doubles down and she tells Aspen she thinks she will probably get screwed over. Aspen explains that these kids, these escapees, they haven't looked at her background and she has had a good life living in polygamy. Maddie feels like Colleen was just really mad. Tanya, the head of Holding Out Help, sees how tense things are with Colleen and she points out how amazing the brown kids are for handling everything coming at them and she says, you know, they should agree to disagree. Next, they're moving stuff into the safe house. There are desks and chairs and computers and speakers. And a lot of the furniture and stuff has stickers of Warren Jeffs on it. There is a speaker with a sticker with a ghoulish, gobliny, creepy ass picture of Warren Jeffs on it. And that sticker says, let God's light shine through you. Apparently, every time you see that demon's picture, you are supposed to pray. It is so sick to pervert something that is supposed to be pure love, light, and good energy, religion, faith, God, and to twist it so it becomes evil, sick, fuckery with like the child brides and the abuse, all under the guise of God and religion. And there are pics of this creepo everywhere on all the furniture. Keep Sweet is even emblazoned into the headboard. It's like you're in North Korea with the dictator's picture everywhere, except Warren Jeffs is the god. His picture is on everything. It's really sick to take something that's supposed to be light and twist it into darkness and to use it to try and justify and perpetuate evil. The SKPs were taught that if you look at Warren Jeff's picture and you see it, you are supposed to pray for him so that he would get out of prison. That creepo will be locked up for the rest of his life. The kids are taking the stickers off of the school desks, off of all the stuff. Logan was really weirded out by it, but Logan felt that maybe it was cathartic for the SKPs for Colleen and Nicole to be ripping up these stickers, getting them off of everything. And Maddie says it's kind of a relief, a freedom to remove these stickers, to get rid of Warren Jeff's face. And she says Warren Jeff's doesn't control their lives anymore. One escapee remembers the moment she realized that the man she was taught to believe and love all of her life was wrong. And when she found out, it was devastating for her because she began to wonder what is actually true. Next, there was an escaped wife's 
bed, her headboard, with keep sweet engraved in big letters on the headboard. Keep sweet means if you have a problem with anyone, if you're upset, you are just supposed to hold it in until it just goes away. It means stop, keep sweet, be submissive. And the kids were taught that it was written everywhere, even on their headboards. It is instilled. Keep sweet. Aspen points out that they're trying to keep the wives just as submissive as the children in these communities. And Maddie says the kids are sus of them, that they aren't real. So Maddie invited them all to Vegas to meet the family so that they can understand that not all polygamists are bad. Nicole thinks that the Brown kids are oblivious to everything, and she is curious to see if the Brown family situation is as good as they say it is. Colleen is nervous that memories are going to kick in for her when she meets the Browns. When they were helping to move, Nicole had past memories of her family when she saw the Brown kids. Nicole misses her family. See, when you leave your community, you are shunned, you are excommunicated, you're not allowed to see any of your family, you are not allowed to have contact with them. None of the people you love, you're allowed to see anymore. They're not allowed to be in your life. Saying no to the faith, saying no to the culture means rejecting your whole family, being estranged from them. Even if you love them and they love you, you're not allowed. Nicole points out that it's harder to remember the good memories because you can justify the bad memories and say, well, I'm out. So everything is so much better. But when she remembers the good memories, she asks with the positive memories, with the positivity, what do you do with that? I can't imagine how hard it is in every way to be strong enough, to be brave enough to leave and to go into a world you know nothing about that you are taught is pure evil and then to make a life away from everyone and everything you ever knew, everyone you ever loved. I can't imagine how one even begins to heal and process all of the layers of trauma and hurt and pain and all of the mixed emotions because the people you hold in your heart who you still love you can't hug you can't talk to you can't see you can't communicate with sometimes maybe even ever just because you decided to be out to want your life back these people who escape are warriors and the inner pain the emotions and the trauma it's not just shit that heals with a little bactine and a little band-aid and a little time these are deep wounds that you probably carry forever and even when you heal Anything can remind you. Anything can trigger you. Life is so short and life is so hard. So you have to soak up all of the good stuff and treasure it in the moments when you can. These people who get out of these situations are brave enough. They're courageous enough to live with their battle wounds and to leave and to do that and to make a good life and to treasure those good moments. It seems like an impossible situation getting out, but at least Getting out gives the opportunity to have some of the good stuff, the moments of magic, the few and far between moments in life of pure joy, of pure good, of pure love that stick in your mind like a snapshot, like a still frame, like a memory. The good memories you hold. To go back to that is evidence of a little magic you can always refer to to keep going. So all of the kids come back to meet the Browns. Maddie was concerned that Colleen was going to be antagonistic towards Cody Maddie asked Colleen to have an open mind. Tanya is worried about the kids 
not being validated by the Browns that actual abuse is going on in their communities. And Tanya was concerned about how the Browns would also react to her. Colleen says the Browns reminded her of home, especially all the noise of a big family. Cody was uncomfortable meeting Colleen because he says Colleen comes from a culture where he would be qualified to be her husband. Christine explains that Colleen views the head of the family, the patriarch of the family, naturally as a bad guy. I want to know, why did Cody's mind automatically go to him being uncomfortable with Colleen because in Colleen's culture, he could be her husband? I found that to be weird. And I doubt that ever crossed Colleen's mind at all when meeting Cody. But Cody thought about it. Cody's weird. I mean, he was the one courting a 17-year-old minor that he had to wait for to turn 18 to get engaged to her when he himself was 20-something. He also made a really weird joke about child brides at the block party when they first moved to Vegas. Cody's gross. Now, Janelle says Colleen walked in the door and she noticed that she was hell-bent on doing everything not plague. Cody wants to know from the escapees if they loved their bio dad. I thought that was too personal of a question having just met these people, knowing especially that a lot of their trauma focuses around their fathers. But Suzanne answers yes. She says in a way, she has always loved her dad. She wasn't extremely close to him because of the circumstances in their lives and in their family, though. One of the kids grew up more around his dad than his mother, But his dad kicked him out because he went out one night. He spent the whole night out. He never went out before. He never did anything with friends. So one night he went out and he came back at 2 a.m. And his dad told him he wasn't invited in his house anymore. And that's how he got kicked out. Colleen reflects on her experience. She says she was shunned her whole life by everybody. And she doesn't know why. So, of course, she ended up leaving. And she says... Then everybody started calling her a devil's child and she felt her dad himself literally was the devil and she says she literally has no respect for that man, for her father. And she says she wants to blow him up. Colleen has a lot of anger and it's understandable based on what she went through. Cody explains that these kids are telling him about the bad experiences they've had But Cody feels like it's his obligation to shoulder this and tell them it's not that way. But he says he doesn't know how to do that. Listen, Cody can't manage his relationships with his own kids. He's not going to help these kids who have been through abuse and trauma feel better about polygamy. Cody doesn't call or text his own kids even on Christmas. Cody can't even attend his daughter's major surgery, but Cody now wants to act like the hero and he says he wants to shoulder this for these kids and show them how great he is and how good polygamy is. And he wants to help these kids when he can't even be there for his own kids. Tanya and Christine talk a little bit and Tanya explains to Christine that her organization doesn't just help women leaving polygamy, they help women still in the community too who can't let it be known or they would get in trouble. Christine explains that when she was younger, they were always told, don't go to a shrink, don't ever go to a social worker, because they will say that polygamy is the problem. So growing up, they were always told, don't go, you shouldn't get help if you were dealing with anything. Tanya says they see the worst of the worst on one end of the spectrum, and she says the Browns are probably the best of the best as far as polygamy and what they've seen. And I bet you that aged like sour milk for her. 
Cody clarifies that they are not perfect. They're not the best. And of course, time is told that Cody is right. They aren't perfect. They're not the best of the best. But Cody tells Tanya they're normal. I'm sure Cody likes to tell himself that, that he's normal. If this is a functional polygamous family and this is the best of the best, where the patriarch calls his wives and kids the obstacles to his goals in life, the goal being monogamy with his favorite wife, if this is the best, if the Browns are the shiny example of polygamy, I would say don't do it, run. But of course, we have seen better examples of functional polygamy than the Browns. We've seen the Williams, we've seen the Colliers, we've seen the Dargers, we've seen better examples of functional polygamy. And again, I think a lot of it hinges on the type of personality and the character that the husband has. Janelle was trying to really relate to the kids on common ground with common things. She really wanted to hear their stories. And one of the girls explains how her father was very overzealous. And a couple of months before she and some of her family left polygamy, her father told his family that he was being sent away to repent. So basically the leaders told him he had to go away. He was no longer a part of his family. He had to go off his compound and leave. He had to repent. They could no longer have contact at all with him. He is no longer their father. And they were just supposed to wait at home for direction from the leaders of their community. And the father said, you know, I'm sure that the leaders will just take care of you. He packed up his truck and he took what he could. He gave them all a hug. He said goodbye. They drove off and she never saw her father again. On the compounds, the church elders, the leaders, they send men away from their families. They remarry the wives. They separate the families. They reconfigurate the families. And it is all at their discretion. At a moment's notice, they can separate your family. They can take the father away. They can take the mother away. They can tell you, kick rocks. You need to repent. You need to get out of here. And they will separate you from your family at their whims. I've watched a lot of documentaries on this. I've read a lot. I've studied it. And on the compounds, they will also kick out a lot of the younger boys so that the older men can have a bunch of the wives since there are too many men and not enough women on these compounds. So the leaders will easily send a kid, a young man who knows nothing about life, who knows nothing about the outside world, except that he was taught that it was evil. That kid will just be sent off, ripped apart, ripped away from his family, ripped away from everything he knows and told, get out of here. You're not welcome anymore. That happens to husbands of established families. It happens to fathers too, all at the whims and fancies of the leaders of the church authority and in the name of God. This is really common. And Janelle is even in tears here. Janelle says she doesn't know how they don't just cry constantly. The leaders told this girl Suzanne's family after her father left that they are to consider Warren Jeffs their father. But since Warren Jeffs himself is locked up, they put someone else in charge of them, an interim caretaker to be their new father and the boss of the family. And so they all tried to obey and support this leader of the family, this new leader that was installed by the leadership, but it wasn't working for them. So they escaped to a friend's house and he took them down to Salt Lake to Tanya. And that was the first time that Suzanne had hope with holding out help and with Tanya. And Suzanne still hasn't seen her dad. She still hasn't had any contact with him. Cody explains that this would be like if he walked out and said, 
listen, I'm a bad dude. I'm leaving. I'm going to be gone forever, never to see you again. And he just walked out never to see his family again. You know what? That's pretty similar to how Cody treats his kids now. He doesn't make any effort with them as if he's not even their father to some of the other kids. Now, Janelle tells the kids it was hard to be separated when they first moved to Vegas. She explains how she and Christine, they were very used to sharing kitchen stuff. They were very used to doing things together. And she explains that Christine did the home stuff, usually. So it's hard now for all of them to be separated in Vegas. Nicole explains how her moms couldn't ever be in the same house. They never got along. And Nicole had 27 moms. 27. Janelle explains that these kids, they've seen plural marriage in a very different way than they know. Nicole thinks it's a bunch of control freaks that get into power and it's prostitution and that there's no family there. It doesn't feel like family. She says her family is not a family. She didn't have a mom or a dad growing up. She had 27 moms and she would think one of them could be around, but none of them were, including her own biological mom, because her mom was so busy fighting for attention from her dad. Janelle explains to her, in her mind, to come from an oppressive society where they are threatened, where they threatened her, and then to be willing to fight against them, she says Nicole is a superhero. Definitely agreed. Mary found it interesting observing the four kids who came to visit, seeing what stage they were at with what they were going through. Next, the family is taking the kids to a picnic, but first they showed the kids the four separate houses in Vegas. And Cody points out his favorite picture at Robin's wedding reception. It's a picture of his whole family. And he points out to the kids this family picture. And it was unique to them to see a picture of the whole family because they didn't have any pictures like that of the whole family. They were all raised on their compound very separately. It was weird to Christine that the kids didn't have a relationship with their other moms. And Mary says what they lived, it's almost like plural monogamy. Yeah, and plural monogamy was kind of like what Cody was attempting to do with his now ex-wives while he was living solely at Robin's, stringing the other women along and not having the whole family interact. That sounds familiar, right? Robin feels no wonder these kids didn't like polygamy because one of the biggest perks is having multiple moms. Listen, we aren't selling a ShamWow touting its benefits. These kids all had to deal with being controlled, with being child brides, with all kinds of emotional, physical, and sexual abuse, and more. They didn't just dislike polygamy because they didn't get to enjoy the added perks of living at the Brown Way, just because they didn't get the added perk of feeling like they had multiple moms. It is way deeper than that, and I felt like that was a very shallow type of comment. None of these supposed perks would make the abuse and emotional suffering and control that these kids had to go through more palatable for them. They aren't sad because of the perks they missed out on. Cody explains that they as a family wanted that culture where they were all a family and all of their children were brothers and sisters growing up that way and growing up together as one family. And Cody says until they just didn't have room in one home, they were always all in one home. Tanya asks Mary, as the first wife, how she felt when each wife came into the picture. Because Tanya says she can't imagine sharing her husband with another woman. 
So she asks how Mary felt. Was there jealousy? And Mary answers that that was one of the questions Cody always asked her. He would ask her, oh, Mary, are you struggling with it? Oh, yeah. Cody is a really caring husband, guys. He really cared deeply about the jealousy and insecurity his wives faced in this very difficult, complicated situation for them where all four women had to share him as the husband. Cody just has so much empathy, guys. He's the picture of compassion and of understanding. Do you guys not remember the wedding anniversary at Lakai where Mary's explaining to Cody how she struggles with Robin coming into the family, how she feels jealous, how she feels insecure, how not only she feels like she struggles with it, but all the other wives do. And Cody won't even attempt to consider how Mary feels. He won't consider putting himself in her shoes. He won't validate her at all. And Mary asks Cody to picture her having multiple husbands or a lover. And Cody says it's unnatural. And if he ever did that, then he would have to seem like a hypocrite or like he would have to admit that he was doing something wrong. And he even said he tries not to even think about it. He tries not to even think about his wife's emotions. Cody's wife's emotions, their struggles, their insecurities were too inconvenient for Cody to even try to understand. And it was Mary's problem to deal with, according to Cody. It wasn't his problem. She signed up for this. These are her issues to deal with. It's not his problem. And here Mary is painting Cody out to be the most sensitive husband ever. Like he's always asking her, Mary, are you struggling with it when a new wife comes in? But Mary admits, jealousy happens. Nicole thinks that jealousy is proof that they are not perfect and that polygamy isn't perfect and that it's never going to be. Next, the Browns take these kids on a picnic and Christine mentions how at first it didn't look like Colleen was really having a good time. And Christine considered talking to Colleen, but Colleen had a wall up. Cody tries to get through to Colleen, and Cody asks Colleen about her thoughts. And Colleen tells Cody she doesn't think polygamy is right, she doesn't think it's fair, and she feels to chance it, to put your kids through stuff like that, it's a forever messed up thing. Cody tells Colleen that he understands her perspective. By now, seasons later, I bet you Cody realizes that Colleen was right. Next, Colleen has a question for Cody. Colleen asks Cody if he values being a good father. She asks if being a good father is one of Cody's ultimate goals. And Cody said his kids, his family, his now ex-wives were actually the obstacles to his goals in life, the hindrance to him achieving his goals, preventing him from his goals, the obstacles. So I would say no, being a good father is not Cody's ultimate goal. But Cody answers Colleen. He says, yeah, from the beginning, that was. And then Cody stops himself. And he says he has tried putting effort into the relationships with his children. He tries putting in effort or he actively is invested and present putting in effort. It looks to me like Cody makes every effort in the book to create hoops and shifting goalposts for his kids to jump through. He knows they can't meet these hoops and then he blames them when they refuse to play his game 
for why he can't see them and for why he can't be present as a father. So did Cody just try to put an effort into those relationships with his kids or does he just do it with actions? Trying and doing are two different things. And Cody doesn't seem to be even trying to put an effort into those relationships with most of his kids. Now, I wonder if he has even called Janelle's sons yet to have that conversation. Mary says she could see the walls Colleen had built because of the things that had happened to her in her life. And Mary feels it's completely justified and that Colleen didn't want to see anybody who lived polygamy that they could do it in a positive way. And Cody explains that they're all working out a relationship and some days his wives check him and he gets grumpy about it and other days they check him and he goes, I have got to be better. But he says he isn't ever able to say, hey, don't check me or I'll never talk to you again or I'll kick you out of my family or anything like that. Oh, kind of like Cody gave Janelle the ultimatum before she left his ass, me or the kids, me or the kids, this marriage or our sons. You mean like that? He's not allowed to do that? He would never do that? Cody says, if anybody gets kicked out here, it's him. And, you know, even Colleen cracks a smile at that. Maddie, Aspen, and Leo were gone a while with Suzanne, one of the escapees, And Aspen and Maddie come back dressed in the cult outfits, in the cult dresses with the braids, like they dress on the compounds. Janelle was surprised that a dress would symbolize to her the loss of agency. Cody says it's the loss of liberty, and Christina's sad by it, and she says it's a dress of oppression. Mary says they can acknowledge the abuse and the leaders in the communities and the horrific things trickling down, but she says it's not fair of them to say Because they wear the dress it happens or because they wore the dress, they act that way. It's not because of the dress, but the dress symbolizes all of that. Robin says she hasn't heard a positive story from the compounds. She says it's happening whether or not they are good people. And she says she was in an abusive relationship. She was abused. People gave him, her abuser, the benefit of the doubt over and over again. And Robin feels you should give people the room to change, but sometimes when you don't see what is right before you, when you don't accept that there's a hard truth there, that there's something wrong going on, then it continues to happen. And Robin feels that's what happened to her. Robin lived in a monogamous marriage, and she says her first husband was abusive. We've never heard his side, but Robin left that marriage. She found Cody. She remarried. No woman should go through abuse. But why is Robin making the abuse on the compounds and what happened to these escapees about her and her abuse story that has nothing to do with polygamy or compounds? Doesn't seem to me like Robin sees what is right before her and she doesn't accept the hard truth. Even still, for example, that because she was favorite wife and because she prioritized Cody over the larger family and because she looked out for her own interests ahead of her other sister wives and the other kids in the family, that Cody, as a plural husband, gave less to everyone else to give her everything. 
Robin still refuses to admit that she was the favorite wife and that she mattered more to Cody and that she also didn't give a fuck about the rest of the family getting their needs met in this plural situation as long as she got everything she wanted and needed out of the situation. Cody, as a plural husband, gave less to everyone in the family in order to give her everything and she still refuses to admit it. She still refuses to admit that she mattered more. She got everything she needed and wanted out of the situation now. The family no longer exists now as it was and she still refuses to see what is right before her and admit it that she was the favorite and that that contributed a great deal to the dysfunction in the family. Everything has collapsed now and she still won't be accountable that her favoritism led to neglect by Cody everywhere else in his family and he neglected his marriages too. She refuses to accept the hard truth in the disintegration of her own family now but she wants to be the hero to call out that everyone should notice the wrongdoings and everyone should give voice to them and everyone should do something. You know what? Robin is a television personality. She's a known person on a C-list reality show. If she cares so much about this and about stopping an abuse and about helping these people, why doesn't she use her platform and her voice to do something? What does she do to help these women who are abused? She wants to talk about her abuse that has nothing to do with the abuse of these escapees. These women are trapped. She's in a position to help, but what has she done? Instead of helping these women, since she herself has been abused, wants to take this opportunity to shine the spotlight on her own abuse rather than keeping the spotlight on holding out help and the polygamous communities and the escapees and the abuse that goes on there. She wants to make it about her. Robin goes on that while they have these people in these communities and they want to give them the benefit of the doubt, They also need to look at it as much as it makes them uncomfortable, as much as it makes them squirm. They need to look at the truth that people are being hurt here and they don't know the difference and they don't know how to get out of it. Mary hopes that they have shown these kids that a plural family can function somewhat normally and be okay and maybe even be a better situation than what they experienced. And Christine has a lot of hope for these kids. Nicole tells a story of how she and Colleen skip church so that Colleen could pierce her ears in a KFC bathroom. That sounds like a recipe for infection. Colleen says she thought the Browns seemed fake because that's not how it is. She thought they were just putting on a show. So McKelty wants to know if these kids, seeing how her family lives now, would ever consider living polygamy the way they do in the Browns way. Colleen wouldn't. She's smart. I think she sees the writing on the wall for this family. Suzanne was always taught the principle and she knew that it wasn't being lived right where she was. She questioned whether it was humanly possible to live it even remotely right. And she doesn't think the Browns are perfect, but she thinks they are doing a great job. The other kid says he would never want to do polygamy, but he would need to be paid a lot of money to be persuaded to do it. That's the wrong motivation. Now, Tanya appreciated seeing the Browns' environment, and she says she knows she hasn't gotten the full picture, but she feels it was good for them to see a side here of polygamy where it seems to be working. Not anymore. Christine admits that she was very leery of Tanya because she heard things from outside groups, particularly about Tanya, and she wasn't quite sure if this lady would try to take her kids away. Christine didn't know if Tanya would come there and try and remove the kids or take the kids away. Christine had a hard time sending Aspen to her because she just didn't know. 
Christine admits when she first heard that Tanya was in charge of holding out help, she was nervous and she explains that when you're raised in a society where social workers and people like that are there to rip your family apart, trusting them is very difficult. So Christine didn't know what would happen. Christine says she didn't know of any of the problems that were happening in Colleen and Nicole's group until now. She didn't know. And Christine is in tears now and she says it kills her because she thought that that group was more like them. And she thought they looked at polygamy as a blessing and not as something to control with. She says she didn't know that men could be bastards. She didn't know. She knows now though, Mary thinks interacting with these kids, seeing these kids was really good for their kids. And Christine agrees. Christine feels like all of the kids understood the way that they were brought up is very different versus the way these other kids were brought up. They're two completely separate worlds. And even though there is one thing in common, polygamy, polygamy has lived so vastly different in each of the communities, theirs versus the others. But Christine doesn't see it as being a personal issue with their belief system itself. Stephen appreciated getting a new perspective of life. And Nicole says seeing the Browns showed her that it's possible to live polygamy in a right way. She thinks Cody is a husband and he's a dad, and so she has a lot of respect for the family, and she thinks it's awesome. And Colleen even admits she had no respect for any polygamist. She hates every polygamist on earth. That was her attitude before. But after meeting Cody, after meeting the Browns, she thought, oh my God, Cody's actually a dad. And Colleen says she respects him, she thinks the Browns are so much better than what they all had to go through. I'm sure that didn't age well. Maddie is happy with the progress she made with Colleen and she feels she made Colleen understand where she came from and Maddie also understands where Colleen came from. Maddie also reevaluates where she stands on polygamy and she wonders if she really supports this. Next time on the Sister Wives Rewatch, Sister Wives, Season 5, Episode 5, Mourning the Loss, the Browns are deciding on options for the homes in the cul-de-sac, Mary's budget is already maxed out on the first page, and Cody is terrified. Janelle's kids might have to share bedrooms, but goddammit, Mary is getting her wet bar. Mary also insists she wants French doors too, and Cody wants them eliminated. Mary refuses. She just isn't having a sliding door. It's beneath her. And Christine thinks if they were four separate families, they would divide the money up differently to build these houses. Mary feels like she's being a cold-hearted person, and Christine complains to Cody that her kids feel like he is never around, and she feels like they are failing as a family right now. Also, Cody heads back to Utah, Cody knew it would be hard, but he is headed back with Mary and Leo to lay their dog to rest. Cody didn't think it would feel safe to go back, but he's going back after so long. Cody's depressed while he's there. He remembers all the memories of his kids playing, and it breaks him down. But fast forward to today, and he can't even bother calling his kids on Christmas because it's too inconvenient. But boy, back then, when he was... In the yard of the one house, digging that grave for a passed away fur baby. May they rest in peace. He was just tearing up, remembering all the memories. But now it's just too inconvenient for him to have relationships with his kids. He couldn't even call them on Christmas. 
because he just wanted to be able to enjoy his holiday with Robin and her kids. That does it for this episode. I'll be back soon for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye.